We don't know everything about God's plans for the future. We don't, uh, his ways are unsearchable and past us finding out completely. But we do know what God has revealed to us in his word about the future. And one of the things that he has revealed is the fact that God has a future for Israel. There have been men and nations down through the years that have tried to contest that and destroy Israel, eliminate Israel, and purge the Jews from the face of this planet. They have been unsuccessful in doing that. They will continue to be unsuccessful in doing that. No matter what man they may try, God has a future. God has a plan for Israel. And uh, we have been looking for the last several weeks at some of the things that are specifically laid out in Scripture for us that God says are going to happen for Israel in the future. First of all, Israel will be present in the promised land in the last days. Uh, they're there now, and Israel will be there in all of the end-time events that occur uh, that we read about in the book of Revelation and, and in the Old Testament prophets as well. We find that Israel will be promised peace by a fellow the beast, the Antichrist, and uh, in fact, that's what's going to start the tribulation period when he enters into a seven-year treaty with Israel, promising them the opportunity to exist as a nation, to begin sacrifices and offerings at the temple once again, and he'll give this promise of peace. But that, that, that peace will, will be shattered with an invasion that will take place from the far north, uh, probably Russia, an area that would be the Russia today as well as in, in coalition with many of what would be the Islamic nations surrounding Israel uh, that are on the planet at this particular time. We find that uh, that, that treaty will also be perverted by the uh, betrayal of the Antichrist himself. In fact, he will not only stop Israel from worshiping, but he will insist that he be worshipped by Israel and by everyone. His image and himself will, will be set up in the temple as objects of worship. But even in the face of that betrayal, Israel has hope. Uh, following his, his insistence on being worshipped, when Israel refuses to do that, there will be terrible, terrible persecution, during which two-thirds of, of the Jews will be killed. Well, there's two-thirds just in the land of Israel, two-thirds around the world. The scriptures aren't real clear on that, but it's going to be a horrible time of persecution for Israel. During that time, Israel will become persuaded that Jesus Christ really is their Messiah. He really is their Savior, and they will worship him as Lord, and they'll find their hope in knowing Christ. As the tribulation period gets down to a close to the end, in the last year of the tribulation period, there will be uh, nations, all nations of the world will be determined to annihilate Israel, and armies will gather in Israel. And uh, we find that in Scripture, that this is called in, Roman, in Revelation 16, 16, uh, at a place called Armageddon. Everyone will be against them, but Israel will still have hope. Uh, all the nations will come against Israel, as we saw last week. Their only hope will be in the Lord. And this is a military campaign, not just one battle, but a military campaign stretching throughout Israel that the Scriptures call Armageddon, uh, from the Hebrew word which means mountain, and uh, Megiddo, uh, Megiddo, which was a, a location in northern Israel, overlooking a, a, a plain, a plain of Ezraelon, where, where there have been actually many battles fought down through the centuries, ideal place to fight battles. 
There'll be one more there, but the battle will stretch clear down to Jerusalem and even over to, to Edom. We find that there are a number of key passages that talk about Armageddon in different ways. Only in Revelation 16, 16 is the term Armageddon used, but uh, the, the battle at the end of the tribulation period is described in all these different passages of Scripture here. Uh, we ask, why is Israel so hated? Uh, why, the, why the Jews hated now? Why have they been hated in history? And why will it be so in the, the end times? Well, largely it's because of Satan. Hating God, hating God's people, hating Israel is the apple of God's eyes. And in the, the middle of the tribulation period, he's going to be confined to the earth. Know that his time is short, and he'll do all he can. He'll go all out to destroy Israel at that time. Uh, the nations will have initial success against Israel. Uh, but we find that there will be a supernatural defeat that we're going to talk a little bit more about this morning at uh, the hands of God as Israel's enemies are destroyed. The last two future events that we want to look at, hopefully we can cover both this morning, uh, are, are the fulfillment of hope. You know, we, we have hope and look forward to things, but, but it, it's great when those hopes are realized, isn't it? And we get to these last two events when Christ protects uh, the Jews as he comes back at the end of the tribulation period and then he ushers in an age of peace and glory for Israel and for the world really as he sets up his kingdom on the face of this planet which is going to last for a thousand years and then even move on into eternity we find first of all the uh, protection uh, of, by Jesus that will be experienced by Israel at his return uh, we read for you last uh, Sunday Revelation chapter 19, which pictures the heavens opening and Christ is seen mounted on a white horse with, with armies behind him, and he comes forth in power and glory and dressed for battle, and he's described there as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he comes as the Lion of Judah. He doesn't come as the Lamb of God when he comes back the next time. He's coming in power and glory, and one of the things that he will do is to wreak havoc upon the enemies of Israel, the nations that are gathered to destroy Israel and Armageddon. There's a number of key things that happen in connection with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is his descent from heaven to the earth. He comes clear down to the earth. If you look with me at Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14, and we're going to be bouncing around a little bit between Zechariah and Revelation. So if you want to stick one finger in the book of Revelation and go back here with me to the Old Testament prophets with the other hand, I think you can do that. We'll, we'll be looking at what God has to say in these different places. But in, in Zechariah chapter 14 and in verse 4, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming in power and glory, it says in verse 4 that in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So we find that when he comes back, in contrast to what happens at the rapture, at the rapture, where's Jesus come to? According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he comes where? To the clouds. To the clouds. And, and living Christians are, are changed and caught up in the twinkling of an eye to meet him in the clouds. Dead Christians are resurrected. We meet him in the clouds. Then we go back to the Father's house, and we're, we're there with the Lord during the time of the tribulation period. But here at the end of the tribulation, he comes to the earth, and we're told here, his feet will be on the Mount of Olives. 
And as he does this, he's going to rescue Israel. Back up a couple verses to verse 3, which says, Then the Lord, you read in the first verses here in chapter 14, about all the nations gathered against Israel. Well, here in verse 3, it says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee, Israel shall flee through my mountain valley. For the mountain valley shall reach to Azel, as she shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all saints with you. So he, he comes to do battle to rescue Israel. Uh, amazing. He, he steps on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives splits and there's a, a valley there for, for many of the Jews to flee from the enemies while, while Jesus is, is doing battle with the enemies who have come against Israel. In, in connection with this, we see the, the changes in the topography uh, of the nation with the Mount of Olives splitting in two. And, and in verses 8 and 9, it talks about a plain uh, being throughout the, the, all of the land. But uh, these armies that are gathered against Israel, we're told in Revelation 19, will oppose the Lord Jesus. They'll, they'll come against him. Imagine that. Fighting against God. They're going to fight against God the Son as he makes his entrance into this planet. Can, can you? That blows me away. To, to think that people will do it. You know, sometimes we fight against God, don't we? We know God wants us to do something, and we may fight against him. But here he's going to be seen in all of his power, all of his glory, and they're going to fight against him, and they will be destroyed. Revelation 19, verse 17 and 18 tells about that destruction uh, that's going to come upon these enemies, these armies that are gathered against them, that the word will come forth from Jesus' mouth, and we're told that they will be destroyed. All he has to do is, is speak. Uh, we, we see some further description here in, in Zechariah, back to chapter 12. Zechariah 12 says, Then the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel, thus says the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I'll make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. All the nations gathered against it. wants to heave Israel away, and we're told here that they're going to be cut in pieces. These nations are going to be destroyed. You're going to go on reading. It says, In that day, says the Lord, I'll strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I'll open my eyes on the house of Judah and will strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Uh, and it goes on and describes how God's even going to use Judah, use the Jews themselves in this battle as well. Uh, go over to chapter 14, verse 9 in chapter 12. First of all, it says, It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. Go over to chapter 14, and you read in verse 3 that God's going to, that Jesus is going to come forth and fight against those nations. And uh, he's going to do it successfully. He's going to battle successfully. 
Drop down to verse 12 in that chapter. It says, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. You know, it's a dangerous thing to go against Israel. Remember what God told Abraham years ago when he established the Abrahamic covenant? He said, those that bless you, I will what? Bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. These nations want to destroy Israel. And, and God says, I will curse them. And pretty vivid description here. Because down in verse 13, says, And it shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. And Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, apparel, in great abundance. So we find very simply here the description of the destruction of these armies. With the Lord Jesus Christ involved supernaturally, with the Jewish people involved in the battle as well, and, and we get to be part of the army of the Lord as well. I don't know what they'll be for us to do, but, but you know, if we do have to fight in that battle, good news, we're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. You know, we fight battles on the Lord's side all the time now, and thank God when we gain the victory. In addition to destroying the armies that we read about there in Zechariah, and we read about it over in the book of Revelation as well. Verses 17 18 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And uh, it goes on then and describes the fact that this, this beast, this antichrist that has such power throughout particularly the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, who is uh, aided in this by the false prophet who was probably raised up from the land of Israel, and both of them serving as part of the satanic trinity with, with Satan himself being a, a, a counterfeit of God, notice what it says is going to happen here to them. There's verse 19, I saw the beast, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And verse 20 says, then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. And those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Beast and the false prophet, given great leeway to work and do Satan's bidding and come against Israel and the people of God for three and a half years. And hear what happens to them? As Jesus Christ comes back, he takes them and he cast them alive into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And if you move over to chapter 20 and verse 10, we're stepping forward a thousand years. A thousand years after Jesus has come back to the earth. Uh, we, we find that in verse 10 it says, And the devil who deceived them 
was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see the implications of that? Beast of the false prophet cast into the lake of fire when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period. Here a thousand years later, where are they? They're still there. They're not annihilated. Now the Bible teaches very clearly the eternal condemnation of the wicked. That, that's, a, that's a horrible thing to contemplate. But, but it's very, very real. Hell is an eternal place. It's going to last forever and ever and ever. And it says that this beast and false prophet are going to be tormented day and night. And this is a thousand years later. They've already been there a thousand years when this event occurs. So we find that this is judgment brought upon them. There'll also be judgment when Jesus comes back brought upon Satan. If you read chapter 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Does a question pop into your mind there? What question pops into your mind when you read that? Why? You know, he cast the beast of the false prophet into the lake of fire... And here we read that at the end of the tribulation, he, he confines the devil in the bottomless pit for a thousand years, but he's going to release him for, for a short time. And we read about that release as we go, go on here in Revelation chapter 20, and we're going to skip over that for right now. But I can, if you drop down to verse 10 again, at the end of the thousand years, what happened to the devil then? It says that the devil who deceived all these all the nations at the end of the millennial kingdom was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So, good news, folks. The devil may be bound for a thousand years, released for a short time, but where's he headed for all of eternity? He's headed for the lake of fire. In fact, back in the Gospels, Jesus said the lake of fire was a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't ever the design that man should go there. God would have all men dwell with him forever and ever and ever, but, but man sinned and man rejects God's one provision so that we can escape that lake of fire and there will be people that will be there with Satan, with the false prophet, with the Antichrist. So we find all these things happening at the, the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ comes back to rescue his people Israel. We find right after that, a, a judging of the nation of Israel, uh, the, the people from Israel, the Jews that have, have lived through the tribulation period will stand before Christ, and the overwhelming majority of them at that time will be believers and will enter into the millennial kingdom to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some may be cast aside, but the overwhelming majority, all Israel, will be saved. There'll also be the judging of Gentile nations.
turn back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. This is after Christ has come back, getting ready to set up his kingdom on this planet. It says in verse 31, Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or, or when did we see you as sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, King Jesus, will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, as inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. You know who the brethren are? The Jews. The Jews. Now, this is not teaching salvation by works. But what it is teaching is that, that the way that people treat Israel is an indication of their heart condition. How does anybody get into heaven? How does anybody get into the kingdom of God? It's always by God's grace through what? Through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. But when you've got a genuine faith, what happens? It shows up in our works. It shows up in the way that we live. Anybody can claim they're a Christian. Anybody can claim that they love Jesus. But it shows up, if it's genuine, it shows up in the way that we live. And for these people that are standing before Christ at, at, the, at the end of the tribulation period, after he's come back, one of the things that will show the reality of their faith would be their their treatment of the Jews, especially during the horrible persecution of the tribulation period. You know, one of the things that stands out about many people during the, the Holocaust, there, there were folks like Corey Ten Boom and her family, that they weren't Jewish, but, but what, what did they do? They, they took the Jewish people in and they, they hid them and they cared for them and they tried to protect them. And why did they do that? Because they were Christians. And they knew the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and they knew that that was the right thing for them to do, even when they ended up facing difficulty as a result of that. So we find there's the judging of the, the Gentile nation that's going to take place. And, and it also goes on, and those that, that didn't know Christ and show this by their, their hatred and, and their, their turning their backs upon Israel, it says in verse 41, then they'll say also to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. And he goes on down through. And they say, well, when did we do this? And you know the answer? Jesus said, I say to you in verse 45, and as much as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did, it, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we find that there, there'll be this, this judgment right before the millennial kingdom begins, right as Jesus is prepared to establish his kingdom.
kingdom. And one of the things we see is the fact that Israel's hope will be vindicated at the return of Jesus and the events that accompany that event. You know, one of the things that, that one of the questions sometimes people ask is, why does God do something about all the wickedness in the world? Why doesn't God do something about the, the ungodly way in which Israel's been treated down through the years? Why doesn't he do something about all the sin that goes on around us today? People ask that question. You know what the answer is? He will. He will. In his time, he will. And in fact, we look ahead here in hope at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there's going to be the rescue of his people, but there's going to be condemnation on all who reject him and turn their back on God and even mistreat the people of God. We see the false prophet and the Antichrist will be dealt with, cast into the lake of fire. We see that Satan will be dealt with. We see the armies of the, the world that have gathered against Israel. They'll be dealt with. And I can say with you in surety today that all who reject Christ, all who choose the path of wickedness, all who rebel against him and refuse to repent of their sin and come to Christ, they will be dealt with and experience the judgment of Almighty God. And, and we look and we, we see it described in terms here like an eternal lake of fire. A lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Is hell real? Is hell fire real? Yeah. It, it, it didn't pass away, folks. It's still there in the Bible. It's still real. And, and the sad thing is we got folks out there that we, we live next to and we go to school with and we work with, and they're headed for that lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There's one thing that will keep them out of there. What's that one thing? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank God we re we've been rescued from that place. Aren't you glad for that? Christ died on the cross so you and I could be rescued from that place. We won't have to bear our sins for all of eternity. He bore our sins for us on the cross of Calvary. And there are people around us who cross our paths every day who are headed for eternal condemnation, and, and rightfully so, because they, they've rebelled against God, sometimes in horrible wickedness and depravity. Good news is they can be redeemed. They can be redeemed. But, but how shall they hear unless there's a preacher? How can they hear unless uh, the preacher is sent? Well, we're sent. We're all preachers. We know the gospel. We all have the wonderful privilege to share the gospel message with people, to keep people out of the lake of fire, and if they'll trust Christ as Savior now, to keep them out of that horrible tribulation period. The judgment of God is real. We find he will vindicate Israel, vindicate Israel's hope. He'll vindicate our hope. Is your hope in Christ today? I hope it is. He is the... Christ is the only one who gives us a, a sure and a certain hope. He's the only one upon whom we can effectively build a foundation for our lives and for our eternity. Thank the Lord for what he's done for us. Thank the Lord for what he's going to do in the future. And there's more good news. 
because this after his return at, at the end of the tribulation period Christ is going to establish a, a golden age for Israel and for earth and we get to be a part of it come back next week and we'll talk about what God has in store for Israel in that golden year kingdom that we get to be part of as well but no for now no for now God will judge sin it's certainty we see that at the second coming of Christ but he'll rescue and redeem his people as well Heavenly Father thank you for the promises of the return of Jesus Christ and we know that day of the Lord when he comes is is a day of light for those who are ready to meet him see him face to face it's going to be a day of darkness and judgment for those who turn their back upon him those who reject him those who oppose him father it's a, an amazing thing to contemplate that those armies gathered together are are really going to fight against and oppose the lord jesus when he makes his entrance back on this planet but father sometimes we fight against him today sometimes we resist him. help us not to do that I pray if there's anybody here with us this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior and they're headed for that eternal lake of fire, I pray you'd scare them, Lord. I pray the Spirit of God would convict them. I pray they'd be burdened by their sin, and I pray that they would see their need to throw themselves upon the mercy of God and take Jesus to be their own personal Savior. I pray they do it this morning, not put it off at all. I pray they might even do it as we close this service today. I pray they might even do it as we're praying now that they would be talking to you and telling you they want Christ as their Savior. They want forgiveness for their sin. Father, I pray for each of us as Christians. Help us to hang on to the glorious hope that we have. Thank you that as Christians we have the blessed hope of the rapture that could take place at any time and that when the Lord comes for his people and that we get to be part of it when he comes back with his people and we get to rule and reign Thank you, Father, as we read the end of the book here. And the book of Revelation and even the Old Testament prophets that tell us about the end is very clear that in the contest of the ages, you win. You are victorious, absolutely, sovereignly, and for all of eternity. Thank you, Father, for this assurance. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Would you sing with me in closing?